One of the things I ended up enjoying the most about living this summer in a monastery for an entire month is that for that time, I had no access to cable television, nor to any real opportunity to search the internet or access the web. And it really wasn't that there were these scary guys dressed in white robes with black scapulars policing all of us and making sure none of us got our smartphones out and broke our vows of silence. Truthfully, there just wasn't the TV on the property at the monastery. And with all the work and prayer and lectures they had scheduled for each of us every single day, I just didn't have the time to be on the internet. Because to be honest, if you want to know, I had my smartphone the entire time I was there. But even when I got back to my room in the evening after the final prayer service of Compline, there was no cell service or Wi-Fi available in the retreat center for me to connect with, even if I'd wanted to take a little time and get on my phone. And when we had a few minutes of free time during the day, I quickly discovered that the cell service was terrible on the monastery grounds, which made it almost useless to take a phone with you. You can ask my wife, even making a simple phone call and checking in could be quite frustrating for both of us during the time I was at Mepkin Abbey. And though I did miss the easy access to the world outside the monastery, to my family and friends through social media, I actually found that once I didn't have it, there was plenty I did not miss at all. For one, I did not miss being completely devoid of news coverage for an entire month. There were always newspapers and magazines in the monastery common room every single day, so you could get at least a glance at the headlines of the major issues that were going on in the world. So we weren't completely cut out, but that was about all you had time for. You certainly didn't have time to read all the commentary or to follow the vitriolic posts on social media about the issues of this or that. There was no redirection, no dire calls for action, no attacks, no tweets, no town forums. And you know what? It made my time at the monastery be a lot more focused than it ever could have been had I had easy access to the media. And my prayer certainly was far more centered. It was something that once I let go of it actually made me feel more productive. It actually made me feel more healthy. And dare I say it, it made me happy while I was away. Of course, now I'm back. And once again, I have my phone. It's right here with me right now. And every night I've been binging on all the shows I missed on Netflix. And of course, with the storm brewing, I've been reading the news for at least uh, the last seven days nonstop. It sort of reminds me as I think about it, as I thought about this weekend, of a very good friend of mine who since high school has struggled with smoking. Ever so often when we were growing up, he'd give me a call and he'd say, guess what? I've kicked the habit. No more smoking. And for about a month, I'd go visit him and he'd never light up a cigarette. But it was always the case that one day I'd pull up at his house and there he'd be sitting out on the porch smoking a cigarette again. I could never understand, at least back when I was younger, how someone who'd actually seemed to have kicked an addiction 
could ever allow themselves to fall off the wagon and take it back up again. Of course, now that I see modern addictions in our culture as real disease, going far beyond even the more talked about addictions of drugs, tobacco, and alcohol, I realize that just by our genetic makeup, we all have something in our lives that could draw us so near to addiction if we look at things honestly. And if it goes that far along, it too can become something almost impossible, no matter how hard we try to ever be able to let go of and to give up. I hate to say it, but for all of us, smartphones and technology are our general addictions today. Spending time with a bunch of monks gives a person an inside look at what it might be like to really go cold turkey and give up not just one thing like a smartphone, but to give up a lot of that which we in our culture and society grow attached to. To join a monastic community is to really choose to give up a majority of the very types of things and even the freedoms that most of us take for granted every single day. At Mepkin Abbey, as most of you have heard about over the last couple of months, the strict order of Cistercians have given up for a very long time eating meat. They are a long way from being true vegetarians or vegans, for sure. But meat itself just doesn't appear on their menu except on the rarest of occasions of the highest of holy days like Christmas and Easter. But it isn't just that monks can't eat meat. They also can't eat something that's given or brought to them freely as a personal gift by a friend or a family member. If I were to go home and bake a whole batch of chocolate chip cookies, which I try not to do very often, but if I were to do that and to send them up to my good friend, Brother Mary Francis, before he could even open this package from me, he would have to take it to the abbot of the monastery and let the abbot decide how those cookies might be broken up and shared amongst the entire community. Only after they were set out for everyone to receive could Brother Mary Francis even have one. Monks do have personal items, clothing and shoes and other things that they need, but everything that they have before it can be tucked away in their room and used must be approved first and foremost by their abbot. And sometimes if it's big enough, it has to be approved by the whole community. Monks cannot leave the monastery without following the same procedure and receiving permission before they go. That means that it even requires that they get permission to go out and visit their family members in a case of emergency. Everything they have and do has been made part of a community first. And they are committed to live within the rules and the constitutions that they swear to keep within that community when they make their life vow professions and put on those robes and become what we call a monk, which is why sometimes it takes more than 10 years before a monk is ready to make that proclamation of final vows. So why in the world would anybody actually do that? Well, honestly, if you want to know where it comes from, the core has a whole lot to do with what we are encountering in our gospel reading this morning, as well as in that very rich reading that we heard from the letter to the Hebrews. Those readings are all about living and beginning to arrange a life that is centered on deep humility. 
in order to aspire to one single goal as a human being, and that is to set forth the ability to please God and to do nothing else before serving God first and foremost. In the letter to the Hebrews, this is what the writer is trying to lay out for us when we enter into chapter 13. The writer of the letter wants us to understand that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to work hard at putting Jesus' example to work in our lives for the needs not just of ourselves, but the needs of others. To not let our individual loves and wants ever take us away from a true mutual love and concern, even for those among us that we don't know, those that we can't understand, and even those we don't agree with. The letter to the Hebrews this morning begins with this. Let mutual love continue. Short sentence, but within it is everything. It's meant to be the core message to all the followers of Jesus to Let mutual love continue, encouraging us to do our absolute best to put that mutual love first above ourselves and our own wants and needs. That's why it continues after that short sentence with all of this. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Remember those who are in prison, those being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Remember those who spoke the word of God to you and imitate their faith and do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. What I learned from the brothers of Mepkin Abbey is that yes, they have a strict rule of life that was first given to them by the father of all Western Christian monasticism, St. Benedict of Nursia. But that rule and all the constitutions that have developed and been reformed after it was simply another way of putting those components we just heard from the letter of the Hebrews into a life and into practice. As St. Benedict himself lays out in chapter 4 of the rule and throughout all that follows after it, your way of acting should be different from the world's way. The love of Christ must come before all else. Your way of acting should be different from the world's way. The love of Christ must come before all else. Now that's for monks, but it translates into our life as well. Certainly this mutual love comes straight from Jesus in the Gospels as well, for that is what the parable Jesus gives to us this morning is meant to set us on track to try and attempt to do. The Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus has been invited to the house of the leader of the Pharisees. A good friend of mine who's a priest sent me a text yesterday and said, why do the Pharisees keep inviting Jesus to have dinner with them? It's always a big trouble for them. But he's invited to eat a meal on the Sabbath with the leader of the Pharisees. And when he gets there, he notices something that I'm sure all of us 2,000 years later still see happen when we go to a big event. Jesus sees people trying to get the best seats of honor at the table. I personally always love when I go to a big event and the host has already done the work and placed our names at each of the seats that we're supposed to be seated at because that eliminates the struggle to find my place of honor. But that's not what this leader of the Pharisees has done. So Jesus decides, I'll make a suggestion. Jesus says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor. 
in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Now, this sounds a little tricky from Jesus. Seems like he's just trying to give you a sneaky way of getting to that place of honor you already wanted when you arrived. But consider this as Jesus's wise way of doing what parables are meant to do, catching your attention. Because who wants to listen to somebody tell you what to do when you're at a party? But if Jesus can twist it in a way, he can catch your attention and, and get you working. For there's no promise in Jesus's story that that host is actually going to appear and invite you to a different seat for yourself. Rather, the hope that comes out of this is when you put this into practice, when you sit at the lowest seat and you begin to see things through different eyes, you begin to move your thoughts out of your mind and down into your heart. You see those who are sitting around you and it cools your ego, helps you to see those in place as a mutual community and people that share your mutual love. That's when the heart takes over, loosening the grip of our rational mind. And of course, Jesus doesn't stop there. For even then, he tells the host of the banquet, makes a suggestion, rather than inviting friends and relatives and your rich neighbors to the event who might be forced to owe you some similar invitation and then take care of all of it in one swath, why not invite those who can only show genuine appreciation? Why not go for a different goal about not being repaid here in the world, but be being repaid by God in the spiritual life? Why not invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind? I wonder if Jesus were here today, if he might add to the poor and the crippled, the lame, and the blind, those among us we do not agree with, or those who do not support the same group we support, or the same political party, dare I say, we hang out with, or even those who go to some different type of church. What would the world be like if we saw those as equals and we invited people to come and sit around the table out of our mutual love for them rather than competition. Now, as always, it isn't the easy way, is it? To humble yourself and to give up the best seat at the table, to welcome in the stranger or to welcome in someone in opposition and give them your heart rather than a few choice words. But it is the true Christian way that Jesus is talking about, the way of mutual love that not only changes us, but has the ability to change the world. Can you imagine a world in which the banquet were people fighting to sit at the low end of the table and to give others their place, where people were seeing each other as equals and not going by what their station of standing was. It would be a world that would be transformed, a community that would be about love, a place that was a lot more like the place Jesus is calling us to rather than the place we so often fall into in this world. I leave you again with the words of St. Benedict of Nursia. Your way of acting should be different from the world's way. The love of Christ must come before all else. And the reward of that is the resurrection of the righteous.